Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. In this episode, Dr. Mike Courtney, Pastor Bryce, and Justin discuss what the post-pandemic church looks like in America and the responsibilities that we have as Christians in this new climate. Enjoy. This is Real, 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 Over Religion. What's up, guys? What's up? What's going on? Yeah, right? (laughs) We'll introduce ourselves. My name is Justin Siegel. Uh, I work at a church in Murfreesboro called Family Worship Center um, as the communications director. Bryce? I'm the associate pastor here at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro. Uh, I'm Mike Courtney. I direct a group of counseling centers in Middle Tennessee uh, called Branches, and I happen to be a congregant here at Family Worship Center. So we have a we have cross the board mix from this particular congregation. Mm-hmm. We do, we do. Mike, you uh, being the executive director of a counseling center, I'm sure this past year has been super busy for you. No. With it hasn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I always like to answer one question by no. Yeah, it's been it's been amazingly busy, uh, Justin. We, you know, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but in all honesty, uh, we have had the in our 15 years of existence, this has been our absolute busiest year, and I think in great part because of, of the quarantine, the pandemic, mm-hmm. and and the, the behavioral health effects on people. I mean, what is it? What is it about the pandemic that uh, had such a strong mental effect on people? You know, I, you know, there, there's the obvious, the, the obvious things of anxiety and and worry and the imminent fear of death and all of those things. I, I but in all honesty, we have that with us all the time. I, I don't, I don't know that there are any fears that are more pronounced than. 15 months ago or 18 months ago. But what has been different about this, unique about it, is that the quarantine has not given us opportunity to vent that. And so we can't talk to anybody. Uh, And if we do talk to somebody, they're in the same boat that we're in. So they're not, they're not, you know, hearing empathetically hearing our, our issues. So I think that has caused a lot of people to just allow this, this angst to build up. And uh, and they have sought, what I would think would be a good thing, but they've sought professional help uh, to go outside of the norm and sit down with somebody who can who can walk them through this, kind of normalize some of what they're feeling. No, I think that's a great thing. I mean, I would say for the first time, seriously in my life during 2020 is when I had like what I would say an anxiety attack. Yeah, and like I never, my sisters dealt with anxiety. My mom has. Um, but there was something about being locked down. And of course, like my role, the responsibilities on that role increased drastically mm-hmm. being the, <laughs> the air just kicked on, mm-hmm. um, being the media guy here at this church, like I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Yeah, so I'm sure. sure that had something to play into it, but also being far away from family, being locked down, not being able to like be with people and, and talk to people and touch people like Man, we need human touch. And I didn't realize that until it was like taken away. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of connection. Yeah. And a lot of people I'm sure felt the same thing. Like they might not have had a history with mental health, right? Or like bad mental health, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but during the pandemic, I mean, people were struggling mm-hmm. hardcore. And it's yeah. good it's good to know that people were were reaching out, like finding help too. Almost yeah. always our greatest fear is from the unknown. 
you know, when we were when yeah. we were little kids, and it was the was the boogeyman in the closet. You know, is this the unknown? Is always the greatest fear, and that has been, I think, just one of the keys to all of this is that nobody knows. We don't know mm-hmm. for sure. Do masks work or not work? Is it the mm-hmm. uh, vaccine the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing? What's my job going to be like? Am I going to have a job? And and so mm-hmm. the unknown has just been so overwhelming. But yeah, we've seen a lot of increase in anxiety, panic attacks, depression, uh, uh, physical abuse, you know, couples being uh, locked up together in the same house and just frustration of that. It's been been an interesting 18 Mm -hmm. months. Now, how do you help people through that? And from a clinical standpoint, how do you help people get through those anxieties? And I mean, even more so the abuse. Right. Well, because you can't, I, you can't separate them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, I think not so much, well, obviously not at all with the abuse, but with the anxieties, with the, with the uh, inner turmoil that's taking place, one of the big things that you try to do always is what I call normalize that is just to mm-hmm. say, listen, given your circumstance, uh, what you're going through, yeah, that's what you're feeling, what you should feel. That's yeah. what, that's what people feel. And then, do some problem solving, give them some healthy tools as to how to handle it. How mm-hmm. to handle it. I, you know, my wife and I have been married for 43 years. She ticks me off a lot. Uh, we're going to edit that part out of this, <laughs> I hope. But dot, dot, uh, dot. Having, nope. having good <laughs> tools about, okay, how do you handle that? Yeah. And, and even in a pandemic when, when you are uh, locked in a, in a house together, how do you? So I think those two things, trying to normalize their feelings but give them healthy uh, outlets for those feelings is, is probably paramount in what we do. Yeah, um, I was I was informed. I didn't know this until 30 minutes ago. Dr. Courtney likes to be called Mike instead of Dr. Courtney. I can't help. I, I just beg want to talk. for that. I beg for that. <laughs> I just like calling – I mean, there's not – I don't have a lot of people I can call doctor. You know, so I'm like Dr. Courtney, like the doctor, like Dr. J. Yeah, well, when are you going to get your doctorate? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I would love to get it. Yeah. So should. I think I you think should. it's I think it's in the future for sure. Doctor Harper. Oh, that sounds I mean, good. That sounds yeah. Cool. I like that. That sounds that very sounds like a surgeon on very sophisticated. What it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds better than Bryce Harper, who is the baseball player. Who is a diva baseball player? Going out for cussing people out. I know. It's not me. One hundred percent. I love when I get sent videos like, "Come on, man, you got to have better character than that." And I'm like, "Yeah, sorry, my bad, guys." <laughs> I was just upset by the game. Uh, so I wanted to get us together to talk about kind of the church climate has obviously changed. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about mental health mm-hmm. um, was a huge thing that we saw uh, rise up during during the pandemic, but also church in general. Like people weren't able to come into the building. They weren't able to come to church. Mm-hmm. So I think that had a huge effect. But also just uh, the church seems to to me, in my perspective, like has been changing for the past 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the pandemic just kind of like sped that up. So mm-hmm. talk about that, kind of reflect on what was the church like before? And maybe you work in a church, you go to a church, you fell away from church. I, I don't want to say fell away because that has a really bad connotation. It just stopped going. Um, and, you know, for whatever reasons, and we kind of want to reflect on that and talk about that because mm-hmm. it's definitely something we've seen um, change throughout the past year. 
So I guess to start out, um, what, in your guys' perspective, what was church like before the pandemic? I guess we'll start with Bryce. What do you think? Before, I mean, it was just, I mean, just normal. I don't feel, I feel like it was something that was just really an accessory, something that was just really kind of optional. And I, I feel like through the pandemic, there's been like a very significant refining of the church. Um, and the people who are plugging in online, who were even continuing to give um, through a pandemic when it, fixed income was very, you know, unknown as far as what that was going to look like for somebody. You know, we saw even just here at FWC during that time, I mean, people who were driving to either drop off their check or giving online. Um, and usually when you're not meeting, people just don't give. I mean, they just don't give. Right. And so we were continuing to see people give, continue to see people interact. And so um, there was a refining. I think it's just a great way to kind of look at it to some sense. Um because you I mean, there really was a church that wrote a whole song about it. Yeah, and so you you really just got to see like the church, the body of Christ, like the people of God, just like really shine through, um, and just continue to give. And then just you saw how the church was really willing to adapt and to change, um, versus like I guess you know church can be seen very traditional, and so we we had to make it, we had to make a move. We had to churches across the, across the nation had to make a move digitally. Um, that felt like, no, that's not necessary. You know, you know, uh, Face, TV Facebook preachers, devil. yeah, yeah. Right. TV preachers, all these guys, you know, whatever. And now everybody's a TV preacher, you know, or everybody's got a podcast or everybody's got a YouTube account. And to me, that was just a very good thing for the church to be able to just try to expand their influence. And, you know, I mean, if if there's any if there's any group of people who should be constantly changing, constantly growing, constantly using methods that are available to advance the kingdom of God, it's definitely it's definitely the church. You don't want to just get stuck in a certain method, missing an opportunity to just be able to expand your influence for that purpose alone, just to expand the influence, just to get the message out, just to tell a story, just to make an impact. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's yeah. so much, I don't know if that kind of helps Yeah, you said, answer that question or absolutely. There was, there was a lot of good stuff there. Um, you said that the church did a good job adapting and I think in the short term they did, uh, but I would say as a whole, like, and when we say the church, we're talking about big C church, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. church of America. Cause that's mm -hmm. what we know. Um, but I would say in the long term like in month five, month six, month seven, a lot of the church was like, no, we just want to get back. Mm -hmm. We just want to get back in the building. We want to get back to normal. Um, and instead of looking on ways to improve on the delivery of the message and how they can build community um, and how they can be the church outside of the context that they knew, they just wanted to go right back to what they knew. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we were able to adapt to handle this thing for a couple months, but we're sick of it. And now mm -hmm. we want to get back. Um, I don't know, Dr. Courtney, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think that's true in, on, in some cases, Justin. And I think you saw other churches that really got out in front of it and continued to be uh, creative and kind of entrepreneurial in mm -hmm. different ways of, Which is huge. of doing things. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, I, I think, it, it, I, I don't mean to bring in 
evolutionist into this, but I think, you know, Darwin, there was some truth to what Darwin said, Mm -hmm. the survival of the fittest. And I think that, that, which may not be a bad thing, that part of what Mm -hmm. has happened in the church is those churches who are willing to genuinely be the church, to, to be creative in the way they present the the message and to be mission minded. Uh, I think those churches have and will continue to thrive because they are Mm. out in front of this thing. And the churches that were more caught up in preserving the institution mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that we do things the way we've always done it, they're, they're, they're not going to survive. And maybe there's some pruning away in that, that, that you know, John 15 stuff where mm-hmm. the, you know, the branches that don't bear fruit, mm-hmm. that God's going to prune them away. I, yeah. I think I've seen both and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing that that's taking place. So what do you think? those churches won't survive. I mean, what has changed so much that that those churches aren't able to survive in today's mm-hmm. climate if they don't adapt, if they don't evolve, right. if they don't change? Well, I think, and, you know, I, I mean, I think Pastor Bryce was was right when he kind of alluded to the fact that some of this change has taken place anyway. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think what the pandemic has done, I think, I think uh, maybe Tom Rayner said that, we are now in 2025 mm-hmm. and we would have, we would have gotten there anyway. We mm-hmm. would have been there in 2025, but now we're in 2021. We're in 2025. Yep. The church was headed this way anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think those churches, I think a couple of numbers, again, pastor Bryce mentioned one of them, a couple of numbers that we're just used to measuring is, the the gathering attendance how many people are there on Butts sunday morning yes absolutely mm-hmm. uh from a spiritual standpoint we're trying not to use the word butts right but that, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the, the souls, souls souls in seats that's kind of a, yeah uh and then and then and then financial support i think those two things mm-hmm. and uh i don't i don't know but I, i'm pretty sure that it's the 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 butts in seats are not going to come back to the same mm-hmm. level that they, that they were. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and so what will follow also is the financial part of that. So I think that those churches who only know how to do the Sunday morning gathering and the, the focus is absolutely on what happens from the pulpit, those churches are going to, and again, I think they would have declined anyway. But that's going to be more rapid until finally it just they just kind of fall from the face of the earth. Yeah, I think I read that same article that you're talking about that uh, that Tom Rayner wrote, and our lead pastor had sent it to the staff at the time. Reading it, I think I think he's right. I think we've been seeing a decline of church attendance for a while, slowly but steadily, right? Um, and what what 2020 what this pandemic did was just speed everything up like you said we fast forward into the year 2025 yeah essentially and we are you know we have to admit uh we're in middle tennessee and we're in a again the three of us happen to be from the same church but we're in a great growing congregation yeah so we're pretty isolated from what's happening in the little methodist church in uh new hampshire you know, mm-hmm. it, it, this mm-hmm. is we're we're in a bubble. Yeah, well, and it depends on where you are too, because Seattle is still locked down, from what I know. 
Um, I watch Judah Smith online. I watch a lot of his sermons and stuff. And his Easter service, it was him, his family, and his crew in a studio. They didn't, they're still not meeting for in-person services, which is crazy because we started meeting what? Since June. Yeah. End of May 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So almost a year now we've been meeting in person. <laughs> to be honest, it's hard to believe that we're even sitting here having this conversation about yeah. Stuff. Oh yeah, I remember this was a year ago. Wow, we have mm. been in this for a long time. Yeah, and you know, you said at the beginning, Justin, some churches wanted to get back to normal. I, I think we all felt like, oh, let's get this thing over with. This is a this is, and I don't mm-hmm. know that we're on the backside of it yet. I mean, this right. is a this is a world changing kind of event that will forever, in some way, forever change us. Mm-hmm. This is kind of off the subject of what we've been talking about, but the food industry. I think has changed forever. Like they're never going to get back to their normal before 2020 hit. I think you'll always have to wear a mask. If you're handling food, um, serving it, cooking it, whatever, I think you'll always have to wear a mask and that's, that's going to be the new normal. Oh yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think you'll see a lot more people wearing masks regularly. Like you see in China when you have a cold, um, uh, or you're stuffy, you're just not feeling well. I think you'll see people wearing masks, but then again, we're in middle Tennessee where it's, I haven't seen a lot of masks worn in general since everything. Yeah. No matter what I'll, I'll die before I wear a mask. <laughs> well, they probably will. I'm trying to find some statistics, some uh, some hard cut numbers on on church attendance over the past decade or so. Well, one statistic that I read said that 36 that the the, the anticipation is that 36 percent mm-hmm. is what is what will come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not that's not what I thought you were going to say at all. I thought you were going to say, you know, I heard that uh, 35% of statistics are made up. <laughs> that's, <laughs> not, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, 87% of all statistics are made up on the spot. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> that is funny. That's like saying there is absolutely no irrevertible truth. Absolutely no. Well, what you just said is the truth. Yeah, so yeah. if you say that, then that's not true. There's, there's got to be something. I'm really trying to find this. How many people have left the church? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I think that's a that's another interesting point, Justin. Is it's the way we count is different. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know. We yeah. don't know how many people have left the church. Well, if you're mm-hmm. a Pentecostal church, you inflate your numbers. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and this is coming from a Pentecostal church. As yeah. someone who did not grow up in the Pentecostal church, let me just say that's not unique to the Pentecostal okay. church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Evangelically speaking, had, right? yeah. Yeah, somewhere I had a friend the other day. He said, uh, "Yeah, we had somewhere between four and five hundred for Easter, not four hundred and five four and five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> That actually, and he went on to say, actually, we had 37, but that's between four and 500. I mean, so. <laughs> so, in the year 2000, it's something like 70%, and now we're down to 47%. One of the one of the numbers that they talk about a lot that you hear talked about a lot now is the increase in the nuns uh, when they ask people, What's your religious affiliation? and they say, They say, None. And that has increased to now, I think I saw a number there that said 21%. That's between 2008 and 2010. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And again, all of that is pre-pandemic. So that's 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 happening anyway. Mm-hmm. We're moving in that direction anyway. 
and now the and now what has happened with COVID nineteen? It's just accelerated that. Yeah, you talked about the nuns, and I think something else that twenty twenty did. We might not have necessarily seen a raise in church attendance or a raise in uh, Christianity, but I think overall we saw a rise of of spirituality and people hungry for for something spiritual um, and this search for meaning. Right. I mean, you have the nun, you have the nuns before everything, and you have the people who are straight up atheists who they don't believe in God, they don't believe in a higher power. Uh, they don't believe in any divine forces. They think they're just going to die mm-hmm. in the ground. Yeah, like, it. And it's it's something. I mean, I'm on TikTok, right? And I see what they call witch talk. Right. Mm-hmm. People. You see people practicing like witch type stuff. And I'm not talking voodoo, like satanic rituals or, or spells or something like that. But people who are interested in crystals and like the spiritual powers that those have and just finding spiritual meaning within these things um, that's considered like witchery. I don't know if that's a word, but it's, it's really something because I mean, if you've drawn away from Jesus, you've drawn away from church completely, that's one thing. But what was it about the pandemic and about 2020 that really caused people to start seeking things out spiritually and start looking for meaning in the spiritual and not the logical. Mm-hmm. I think almost all, all way, and you know, I, again, I come from a, from a Christian background. My worldview has been Christian as long as I remember. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to, yeah, it's hard yeah. for me to fully understand what someone with a totally non-Christian worldview yeah. thinks. But, but I, but I still, I still think this is true that when we are faced with our own mortality, the question of the meaning of life and is this all there is and, and those spiritual issues come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so again, this has been a year like no others when, when a 23 year old is sitting there watching television thinking, am I going to, am I going to make it through this year? Am I going to be one of the statistics? So Mm -hmm. we've faced our mortality and so I think it stands to reason that more and more people would begin to look for spiritual answers to that. And I, yeah. I'm a little optimistic. I would say the good news is that if they begin moving in that direction, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If, if they're just moving in a spiritual direction, then there's a good chance they'll find the truth in all right. of that. And so we, uh, well, there's something called common grace that I learned about in one of my humanities classes in college, which is this idea that Jesus will show up in secular works. He'll show up in things that aren't um, explicitly him or things that are trying to denounce him, right? Like that's not beyond God to use the words um, and to use the works of somebody who is trying to go against God to reveal himself to somebody through those works. Oh yeah. Right. Like, I think, I think you're right. I think even if they're looking for meaning, they're looking for spirituality in things that are not Christ. Um, I'm praying that the end goal, what they end up seeing is, is Jesus through, through these endeavors. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think in, in, in some of my theology studies, there's like, um, you probably know as well, Dr. Courtney, is there's general revelation and there's special or specific mm-hmm. revelation. Right. General revelation would be I'm going on a hike, I see a beautiful sunset, yeah. and there's just this moment where I feel like I'm I'm transcending 
what just time, matter, space, and there's just something that's happening that I just really can't explain, don't have a relationship with Jesus, but man, there's just something significant that I'm sensing or feeling, you know, and so I think that kind of speaks to like what you're saying, you know, people have that experience of general revelation um, with nature or isolation or whatever, and then eventually that leads to a special revelation or a specific revelation where God really speaks specifically to the individual about their life that only he can. Right. So. And gives himself a name to them. I, mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, I think that's true. We deal with a lot of people in, uh, in recovery and a lot of 12 step people. And that's, that's one of the cool things about a 12 step program. For those that might not know, what do you mean when you say 12 step? The 12 steps is a program that was started in the 1920s by, by Bill W and Dr. Bob, uh, to provide some means of, uh, of, of uh, organized recovery for alcoholics. Alcoholism was rampant in the in the roaring twenties, and so this program was established. And they they came at it from a spiritual standpoint, but trying to be maybe overly uh, generalistic. They 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 didn't name. So they talk about higher power, my higher whatever your higher mm-hmm. power is, the higher power as you understand him to be, and that's the language of the twelve steps, higher power. But the interesting thing is, as people go through the 12 steps, and they and your higher power can be a folding chair if you want it to be. I mean, it's just your higher power is whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. But it, almost without fail, as people go through the 12 steps, at some point, they are confronted, you know, and some guy, it's not uncommon for some guy to come walking in who has never had this thought before and say, you know what? my higher power has a name and his name is Jesus. You know, I think, I think moving, just moving in a spiritual direction, people tend to find, obviously not universally, but often tend to find Mm -hmm. the, the, the one true way. Yeah, absolutely. There's the air kicking on again. (laughs) That is, that's general revelation when the air kicks on. And and then if it says, this is God, then that's specific. That was perfect. That's the basics of agnosticism, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a higher power, but we don't know who or what that is. Right. Yeah. There is, mm-hmm. there might be a God. I just can't, I just don't know. I can't know it. So yeah. And I always tell people that's okay. You don't have to know his name. He knows your name. So mm-hmm. yes, sir. Yeah. Bryce, you said something earlier about personal revelation. Can you kind of define that a little bit? Um, personal revelation would be like in, I guess more recent, um, before we came to FWC, Sarah and I were at United Church in Lawrenceburg doing really well, felt like we were going to live there forever. Just great community, um, great church, great group of people. Yeah, this is before a pandemic. So this was, I was there from 2014 to 2019 to the beginning of 2020. So I came here at FWC. February 2020, right before shutdown. Well, you brought the pandemic. Right? Pretty much, yeah. It's kind of like the Jonah thing. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't uh, China. It was you and Sarah <laughs> brought this. I kind of got that from some of the staff. Like, you know, ever since you got here, things have been just. Because you got here, tornadoes hit Nashville, right? Yeah. And then right after yeah. that. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. 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 So it's very much a Jonah. It's all you. Yeah, it's kind of like, that was kind of my persona was Jonah. Like, what are you doing? You are out of line. Um but before that, you know, we were doing really good. This whole opportunity happened with Pastor Eddie and FWC, and I didn't know any FWC, Pastor Eddie, anything. And 
And so once we sat down and we had dinner with them and we, we started talking to them, I mean, the things that Pastor Eddie was sharing with us was stuff that I had, I had written in my journal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was conversations Sarah and I had had that we didn't have with anybody else. And Sarah and I basically had like a bullet list of things like, man, we would not move unless these 12 things. And Pastor Eddie literally went down those 12 things. Mm. And we didn't share that with anybody. I mean, with nobody. It was just a conversation we had around. And so when we left dinner, it was one of those things where it was, Sarah was like, it's like he was <laughs> eavesdropping on our conversation. It was like he had our home, like, tapped or phones or something, you know? Like, um, And so to me, that speaks to a special revelation or a specific revelation when you go, hold up, pause, hit the brakes. Like, let's think about this for a moment. There is no way... He right. knew that. Right. And when I mean verbatim, I really mean verbatim. I mean, we went down the list. Sarah and I are just sitting across just, there's no telling how we look because we were just thinking we were going to get a free steak dinner because we, we were just, mm-hmm. Sarah's seven months pregnant, seven months pregnant. I mean, we were in a good spot. We weren't planning on going anywhere. And then we're leaving kind of with just glossy eyed, like we're about to move to Murfreesboro. Like I cannot believe, oh, because there is a special revelation to this. There is something very specific. Yeah. This is not something general. This is not just another opportunity. This is something that God is very much involved in. And because of that, we want to respond accordingly. We want to follow God. We want to, you know, be very intentional of not just following God generally, but just very following him specifically in a special way and, Typically, when you do that, we all kind of maybe have moments like that where God speaks to us in a special way, in a specific way, and you respond to it, and then there's just like a very special reaping of that. There's God gets in the details of your life and does something very specific that just really, I think, speaks to the meaning that we're all trying to find in life that, man, I, I am not just here just because it was a great opportunity or whatever. Like, I am here simply and purely because God was doing something. And that is very, very evident. And, you know, to Sarah and I, it was very, very clear that God was very much involved in that. So, yeah, that's good. I love that. And it seems like peace is what was the confirmation, right? Like that's what I've followed in my life. I think in my own experience and what I've learned personally is that Peace only comes when you're in the will of God and when you're following what he wants you to do. Um, but I'm glad that you defined what personal revelation is because I think what, what a lot of people hear when they hear personal revelation is they think of something like a Joseph Smith experience, right? Like this this extraordinary, this divine um, or magical being revealed himself to me like an angel and gave me this personal revelation um, that might not line up scripturally right? But then you build your whole life and your, your doctrine around that. Um, and so I like, I like the example you gave, you know, our family had something very, very similar happen. Um, we had moved to Texas to my family. Um, my dad was a children's pastor. And so he got his first children's pastor's job in Texas. We moved from Ohio to Texas, middle of my sophomore year of high school. Anyway, we were there for about a year. And um, the pastor at the church we were at at the time moved to Georgia and um, the pastor had called my dad once he moved there and he said, Hey, Vinny, my dad's name is Vince. He's like, Vinny, 
Uh, I want to bring you on on board here as the children's pastor. We'd never been to Georgia. My dad hated Georgia with a passion because um, he had a bad experience at the Atlanta airport. Um, and so he said, okay, God, if if this is where you're taking our family, like if this is the next step on this journey, this, this, this has to happen. Pastor's got to call us on this day saying that the board approved um, us as as being the children's pastors. And sure enough, like a checklist, I mean, everything happened. Um, it was it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So to, to see personal revelation be something like that, like I can get down with. I think there are those times where, where God, you know, Joseph Smith being the exception, where God does really appear and say, this is the way walking in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but more often than not, it's kind of that, yeah, that list of here's what I asked for, here's what God's doing. It has to be God at work in this. Yeah, That's good. What happened to your beard? You shaved your beard, and it yeah. looks it looked great. Really? Oh, yeah, okay. your pandemic beard you looked know, really good. I got I got mixed reviews. And, and <laughs> who were the mixed reviews from? <laughs> Was it from Doris? Some people said, yeah. Some people said it makes you look uh, distinguished. It looks really good. You look real manly. Door said, I don't like it. So that was the... That's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, what happened is I had had planned all along that I was going to grow this beard for one year and then shave at the end of the year. So on Christmas Eve, all of our family was over. I shaved, and my one-year-old grandson, who adores me, would not come to me. So I said, I'm growing it back. Yeah. (laughs) So I grew it back, and then I kind of phased it out. So now he's comfortable with me. Nice. <laughs> yep. So you do you yeah. prefer yourself without a beard? I don't. You know, I'm. I was surprised because I've never grown a beard before until this. I I imagine this. Eat. You know, no self care. You just get up. You got a beard. You don't have to do it. It's a lot it's of not work. The case. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna do all this work, I might as well just shave the thing off. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it was a lot was more it, work. Was it thought. nice though, not having like the irritating skin from shaving? Um, this is getting really personal, you know. I, just, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> coming coming from somebody who who has a beard right now, and mm-hmm. I know Bryce has a beard. Um, I I do like not shaving my skin every day. Like I don't feel like I'm not beating it up. Yeah, I tell you what what bothered me the most is I. I hated finding food in my mustache like three days later. (laughs) Three days. This junk was there for three days. I I remember I had lunch. I had lunch with Justin three, two days ago. Like that was Thai food. It's been a couple of days. Yeah, no, it was just, it was more trouble than I thought it would be. Did you, did you get into it? Did you get like the oil and the beard brush? No, no. I I watched a couple YouTube videos. Plus, you guys are young. Your your beard, my beard came in white. It was just white, and I thought, well, see, that's like Gandalf action right there. (laughs) I wish my beard was white. I'll give it another thirty years. It will be. I mean, Bryce, Bryce, and I both have some gray cooking in. Yeah, I got a little. Y'all need to do some like Grecian formula stuff. (laughs) (laughs) A little salt and pepper. This, this has something to do with the church and the pandemic. It, no. It's got it's got something to do with it. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, I think, before the pandemic, and 
a lot of the church still now that's able to meet in person and and not have any like I don't know restrictions. Mm-hmm. It's very concert like, right? It was something. Ever since I've been in church, it's been that like everything is for Sunday, um, and there's a set of songs that we do, and it's a production, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a production team here at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a production, and then typically you get up and you do like announcements or offering, and then it's going to go into something like the message, and you have an altar call, and like that's that's been the order of service, I think, widely accepted for a while now. Um, what do you what do you think about that model of church? Do you think that still is is relevant post pandemic? Do you think it's that's the healthy way to go? Do you think it's enough? Yeah, I think I think always being open to creativity is always a huge plus. Um, I think if you are open to being creative, you can just bring a freshness to everything. I, for me, I think it's just kind of a it's it's a two edged sword as far as you know. I think almost going back into like what is maybe a typical church service, people coming back together for that. I feel like people, that's what they wanted. Like they just wanted to go back and sit in service. Like they wanted, they wanted to hear the the songs again. Like they just wanted to go back to what was familiar and what they were used to. Um, So then it was kind of like, I don't know, a revitalization of what was already just kind of there uh, where people like wanted that back. And then, you know, but because everything was changing, um, I think people were also really open to everything just being different. And so I think there's just an opportunity to just make the most of it. Um, whether it's revitalize what you're doing, make it even better, make it a, bring a finer point to it. Whether it's just taking what you have and just sharpening it and making it more excellent or just saying, hey, we're just going to do things. We're coming together. We're going to do things totally different. And so um, with all of it, I think people are just totally open to change and and so I think that's good, Bryce. I, I, I tell you, here's something that happened to Doris and I, I'll make a, I'll make a confession here. Um, cause we were, we were, I don't know, from, from March till, till probably, I think we was because we're old. It was a little later than June before we came back, probably March to August. Um, uh, we would shop around, you know, we, 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 mm-hmm. we love our church. We, we love, our obviously love our pastoral team uh when it comes to the music and and here's another thing that music and worship doesn't always translate as well over the internet and mm-hmm. i know that's you know that was a huge struggle for our we team. were both blessed to have you and felt sorry for you justin that you come <laughs> in and all of a sudden the whole weight of this is yeah and so so we would we would say well you know what we want to hear pastor bryce preach we'll hear pastor eddie preach but let's do worship at uh you know elevation church or you know mm-hmm. let's go to bethel for worship and i i think that i think part of what that does is is say um if if we better not put all of our eggs in that basket mm-hmm. if we think we are going to reach people because we got a kicking worship team and smoke machines and flashing lights. Mm-hmm. There's somebody out there that does it better. Yep. And now people know how to do that. They mm-hmm. know how to. And so, so I think it does really, I think you're right. Pastor Bryce say we like the familiar, we like the mm-hmm. comfortable, but that's not where the draw is. If mm-hmm. we're going to reach people, we're going to reach people 
by engaging them in the mission of the church, mm-hmm. not in the presentation, but right. in the mission. We're out in the streets. We're making a difference in people's lives. So I, I think, um, you know, I think we may continue to see worship the way it's been, but it won't be the center of what, right. for a while, I think it became the center of what mm-hmm. we do, and it, it won't be that anymore. Right. I'm interested to know how it got there, right? Because it seems yeah. like the early church wasn't concerned in, in, in like a performance or anything like that. <laughs> Daniel's over here doing a dance off dance. camera. Yeah, um, it wasn't. It wasn't about any of that. I mean, obviously, they didn't. They did not have the technology that we had, but it also didn't seem to me like it was about you know, a specific time, a specific day. Like everything for us seems like it's geared towards Sunday, right. and like that had to come from somewhere along the way. Um, and the mission of the the early church, I think, was to to gather believers together to spread the good news, the gospel, right? That Jesus was indeed alive, um, and <clears throat> I don't know. I I've questioned and asked if just as a as a church, like talking big C church, um, if we've gotten away from the original mission of the church a bit by putting so much focus on on a day, by giving so much focus to to the production and the performance. Um, I think you're right. Like, don't put all your eggs in one basket because there's different churches that do things so stinking mm-hmm. well. But I think there's so much value in in smaller communities too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it seemed to me like the early church, like that, that was where they learned. That's where they did life together. And I think that's where life groups come in. Um, right. And I'm seeing a lot of, uh, who is it, Francis Chan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's completely done away with meeting in a building, mm-hmm. and he's got different homes. And that that's kind of the church that he's developing is in different homes. Right. Um, and so I'm wondering, and again, I don't have the answer to this. This is just something I've been thinking about is, is that the way the church needs to head? Like, is that the future? Yeah. Um, because I know a lot of people that come in here on Sundays, and nobody knows their face, nobody knows their name. Right, and then they are just able to leave. And so, if if church was about smaller communities that met in homes around a meal, and then you know, shared shared uh, a story of Jesus, or you know, did a short sermon and like a little acoustic set, or they watched worship from one of the bigger churches, like is that a better model to go for today's climate? Yeah, I, I think. Uh, you mind if I say something about yeah, that? Yeah, go ahead, Pastor Ross. I I, I think. And I don't know, I'm not a great church historian. I think this development has been more generational than it has been spiritual. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I am a baby boomer, and uh, and we we grew up on God bless me and mom and our two boys, we four no more. We grew up on our little group, and we want to be, we want to know and be known. And that, and so church began to look like that. And the generation that followed me was the baby busters. And then kind of all the way up to Gen X who were, uh, here, let me make a confession to you. Tomorrow or Saturday night, I am going to a journey knockoff band concert. I have never been to a rock concert in my life. <laughs> Why is that a confession? Never been to a rock concert in my life. Not the not the going to the concert. The fact <clears throat> I've never been to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I don't want to be a part of a big old crowd like that. I want, well, the generation that followed, they liked that. 
And they mm-hmm. love the big production. And so the church began to follow that. And we want to kind of, we want to appeal to them. And so let's have, you know, great, great music. Let's, let's do a production. Let's put time. Now, here's what I think. And I, and I, and you all can answer this better than I can. I think that, that the millennials and the, and the generations that has followed that generation Z, I think they have moved back to, we don't like the big venue as much. We, we want our, we, mm-hmm. that's why Starbucks is, is, is what it is. We like the smaller mm-hmm. venue. And so again, we're back to, I think the church was heading here anyway mm-hmm. without knowing it. And maybe the good thing that the pandemic has done is it's just kind of accelerated that to say, building a huge auditorium and putting on great shows to pack the place for one hour a week on Sunday morning is not going to be the way to go anymore. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to find lots of different ways. People are going to be more interested in connecting than -hmm. they are in the, in the production. But do you think that's, do we abandon that or do we keep that going? And like you said, give people different ways. Or do we just abandon like the auditorium style altogether? Yeah. You know, I don't mean to, to dominate this, but because I'm old, I get to speak my. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess I get Gandalf. I think. I, I'm, I'm old. Let's, can we put that on pause so I grow the beard? Again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. I think, Justin, I, I almost, I almost hate to say this, but I think. Say it, man. We are going to go, and again, you saw this happening. I mean, I think I think we're going to go to multi congregations in the church. We we have for a long, long time. We want to bring everybody together. And I used to, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I pastored for twenty five years, and I tried to have this intergenerational, uh, interracial, inter faith you know everybody come together and let's just can't we all get along and like make it other. make it heaven on earth in yes. one building. yeah yeah and i think we're going to more and more see churches go to multi-congregational mm-hmm. where we do have the probably not as large but we have kind of the gathering for those old codgers that like to get together and raise mm-hmm. their hands and praise god and do that stuff to we're a buffet have, yes that's right the casseroles there's gonna be casseroles at every service Mm-hmm. We're going to have the 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 house churches for for the, the those groups that like to be the the smaller more intimate gathering and you and you may and you may have very strong and healthy online mm-hmm. churches where a guy sits with he and his wife and their kids and they're the only ones that are worshiping with a thousand other people. But, well, there's something intimate about that, I think, too, yeah, for the families. Yeah. So I think I think you're going to see churches go to kind of this multi-congregational thing where we, as Paul says, I want to, I'm trying to be all things to all men. Mm-hmm. Where we yeah. where we do that on a on a corporate level mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's possible for one single church to do that. Like yeah. one single church to be all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where. It, I don't know. I I would love to see the church come together. Like, yeah, we have different denominations, which is based around different beliefs and interpretations of scripture. But I really think if we're going to do this multi-congregational thing successfully, like we help empower the churches around us as a local church um, to do what they do best and to reach the people that that's good mm-hmm. that they're going to reach. Yeah, you were going to say something. 
Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, the hand doesn't tell the foot, I don't need you, right. you know, type yeah. thing. I think there is absolutely this um, appreciation across all all different methods, belief systems of just, of we need one another. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a beauty in, you know, looking at those around us and seeing how to do ministry different, not saying, um, hey, this, this is it sign up or go away. I think there's, there's definitely a beauty in looking at all the different facets of, of ways that we can make an impact. And again, I think it just comes back to each body, each group of people, each ministry department, whatever, to really look at, um, their demograph, look at the group of people, look at their needs, look at what's going on and their influence and, and be creative in that mold and just allow it to be, what it needs to be. And so, um, you know, we can look and say like, man, man, we gotta, we gotta get our worship at, at the elevation level, or we gotta get our worship to this level, miss an opportunity to just be our own expression of worship. Um, cause, cause people might not want that. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's awesome to want to strive and to get excellent and sharpen your craft. Um, but I think there is really a beauty when your leadership and your community you know, works in a way that is um, in correlation with the people that you are, you know, overseeing, that you're leading, that you're having community with. And so your terminology, your language, your culture, everything is is very harmonious because, you know, again, we're seeing a generation kind of come back in saying we want to connect. We want to do this together. We don't just have this random production experience that's really excellent, awesome, but doesn't really like doesn't really maybe go back to talking about like doesn't really speak to a specific special revelation that you would probably get in a community that yeah. you would get in relationship week in and week out um, with a body of believers. So yeah, just, just being authentic, being true to who you are, who God called you to be the gifts and talents that he's given you the people that he's given you um, and just be creative and have fun and not compare, you know, and, and, honor God and what he's giving you. And, and so, yeah, it's just a lot there. So it's good. One of the things that's going to mean is, is, you know, thinking on both sides of this fence as a former professional minister. And now as a, as a lay person, uh, we're going to have to change the way we, we measure uh, success mm-hmm. and the, and the way we value our leaders uh, mm-hmm. Well, in the past, you know, if we're growing, you know, I've, I've said before, I used to say, well, we're not growing, but praise God, neither the Baptist. So, you know, we're doing, we're doing okay. <laughs> we're doing as good as anybody else. Did you, did you grow up in a Baptist church? Is that- <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're going to have to change that. And so the, how the size of the worship service on Sunday morning, the, the, you know, the number of people that we're reaching maybe even i don't know maybe even the number of people we're baptizing those are no longer going to be the mar- on either side the pastor mm-hmm. can't get up on monday morning and say i'm doing terrible because we didn't have you right. know a thousand people in the worship service and the lay person can't say we need a new pastor because we're not we don't see our building full we're just got to change the way we look at the church really being the church and doing what it's supposed mm-hmm. to do i think yeah and and that's a it's going to be a hard change to make. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, especially, I mean, 
I've I've grown up in the church, and that is how you measure success. Yeah, mm-hmm. within the church body, yeah. and then working in a church. My dad working in a church before me, like you measure it with how many people are there, with baptisms, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I, should we get comfortable with not measuring numbers? Period. Well, I think you know somebody says you you know you can't expect what you don't measure. I, uh, inspect what you don't measure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's always a need to to find some kind of metric. Am I doing better? Are we doing better this week than we did last week? Are we better stewards? And we're, I, I sure. think there's some way, but it's going to be different. Those numbers are going to mm-hmm. look, look completely different. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to be, I think, something like, I don't know, you're measuring how many lunches you had with individuals. Right. Or like yeah, how many groups mm-hmm. met that week or. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, more intimate settings, I think, especially for the generation, my generation and Gen Z and the ones after, like Mm -hmm. the ones who are wanting more of an intimate experience, you're going to have to record those. And I I don't know, if you want to measure those, have them reported to the head pastor or whoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, what if we what if we measure our success by how much money we gave away? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We gave away yeah. we gave away ninety percent of our income mm-hmm. this week. It's been a great week. It's been, mm-hmm. We're doing great. we're almost broke. This has been a great week. Yeah, yeah. Good. I think um, with a generation so interested in justice and so fascinated with honestly just making a difference, um, I see that with the students. I see that with my generation, there is a longing to make an impact. Um, um, I think that for me. Um, and I think for churches at large moving forward are going to have to look at what are they doing for their community? What are, what kind of impact are they really making for their community? Um, for the needy in their community, for the hurting, for the broken, um, poverty, you know, whatever the case may be in a particular area in their demographic, what, what are the needs there? What can we do to be the church, to be an answer, to be some kind of help assistance in that, um, uh, Pastor Liz kind of oversees our, our outreach and putting things together. She, we do lots of things tomorrow. We're going to, there's a group going to journey home, helping to feed people um, and help people in need. And we do that every month. Um, there's a lot that we're doing outreach wise. And I feel like the church is kind of, I even said this in staff this past week, we, we assign somebody like Pastor Liz who has a deep, deep passion to get in a community and do something. And so we assign that to that person and well, that's their thing. They're handling it. They're making it happen. And it kind of almost like alleviates us this responsibility to think, to be engaged. Um, and that's not just with our church. That's just within just across Christendom where we assign certain teams or people and we just like, yeah, we got outreach program. Yeah. We got an outreach coordinator. Um, not really, saying, hey, we need to be outreaching into our community um, and making a difference. And to me, man, that is, I see a generation that's very interested in that, that wants to make a difference and wants to make an impact. And so I think that could be, man, such a great measuring rod for the church to say, we gave this much. We went and, you know, helped in this community that's hurting. Uh, We helped this family. Um, And that's a great point to make. Like, there's a huge difference between... I would say the generation before us and this generation coming up, especially and our generation um, that really seem to give zero cares on the repercussions of caring for people 
to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to scream it from the rooftops. And they have a huge tool for that, too. I mean, we mm-hmm. all do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we can now advocate for people um, to thousands of people, depending on our following. Um, and so I think that's a big thing. And then coming into the church world, I think I think you're right. Like, mm-hmm. what if we don't measure success within the four walls and the numbers that we see here, but we measure success on how much we've done outside of the walls? I think that's a great way to mm-hmm. to kind of synthesize that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we, we, we can't. We can't focus within the four walls anymore mm-hmm. um, because people are outside hurting and dying mm-hmm. and they came in the four walls maybe once before, right? They right. used to be in church. And now they don't because they got burned or they got hurt or, you know, whatever. Um, and so we're going to have to go outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we've been preaching for a while as the church, but has not been put into action, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this. There's three, three words came to mind for me. Justin, that the church has to confront, and, and, and they were deconstruction, distribution, and decentralization. I think deconstruction, <clears throat> we're going to have to simplify mm-hmm. the message yeah. and, in fact, be aware of the fact that the message is not as important. Theological mm-hmm. uh, distinctions are, are not going to matter yeah. as much. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we believe once saved, always saved. We believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those yeah, people are not going to care. Like, who right. cares? Oh, so yeah. to deconstruct all of that and mm-hmm. say what is the bare minimum that we believe is necessary, mm-hmm. and 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 not to shy away from the gospel, to preach the truth of the gospel, but to get it down to its simplest form, mm-hmm. and then distribution, again, as, as we're talking about, that not to get up in a pulpit and expect that two thousand people are going to show up, and that's why I get the gospel message out. It's it's it is by far going to be more important that the the guy who is there in the pew mm-hmm. is well equipped to go out and share his faith with yep. somebody and to minister to the to the the poor the widows and the orphans uh mm-hmm. it's absolutely necessary and then decentralization as we've talked about multiple congregations but i think that's also true as you were saying pastor Bryce we i don't you know i'm a, i'm in a good place now i'm a lay person i don't have to do this stuff we pay staff members to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't, yep. And we're going to have to decentralize mm-hmm. that and say, which has always been true, the responsibility of taking the message of a Savior to a hurting world mm-hmm. is for all of us. Yep. And there is no central location or central place or even central method to doing this that we've, we've got to just uh, as 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 much as we possibly can, we've got to see every person as priest and and out there uh, proclaiming the, the good news. And I think yeah. the full-time staff has to create that avenue for people to go to. Yeah. Like they've mm-hmm. got to present the opportunities. And so I think it's, it's definitely going to be trickled down um, mm-hmm. for, for people to present that opportunity within the church for people in the church to then go and do and, and be with other people. Mm-hmm. Good. I think there's a huge stigma um, as well, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit. Um, people, people who have always been in the church, people who have been raised in the church, um, 
kind of having this stigma around people who maybe don't go to church full time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this idea of be in the world, but not of the world. And mm-hmm. I think that language has hurt us mm-hmm. maybe in the long run um, because it kind of gives this idea of like, oh, the world is something separate from me. And so I can't really immerse myself. I can't interact with it maybe as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that in turn has created this idea that like, oh, if I bring them here, if I bring the world in here, that's that's good because I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Um, and maybe changing that language and changing the ideology, like, yes, you need to surround yourself with people who are going to feed you spiritually and who are going to help boost you. But at the end of the day, you have something in you that the world needs mm-hmm. and like the world is longing for and everybody around you is longing for and you're no different than the atheist next to you you're no different than the buddhist next to you or the baptist next to you or whoever um one we're all on the same team and like you said simplifying the message getting getting rid of the theological differences mm-hmm. and going okay we're all on the team for jesus so how can we get jesus to people who need him and that's the only difference, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no difference between you and the chick who's cutting your hair, um, who mm-hmm. doesn't know Christ, who doesn't go to church anymore, who was burned by church um, and has denounced her faith. The only thing is like you have something in you that should be shared. Mm-hmm. And making that the centralized message of the church, I think is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. And then also just seeing people's needs and not, how do you say, not... Uh, you know, not not demonizing people who might be like what we would say in sin, right? Like mm-hmm. outwardly in sin or or whatever, whose beliefs are completely different than yours. Not demonizing them, but seeing them as a friend and a brother because they still have a divine imprint on them. Mm-hmm. Like they were uh-huh. still created by God um, yep. and have eternal value, just as much value as as what's on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then doing life with them, meeting their needs, having lunch with them, you know, coffee, whatever, being their friend and building that relationship. Um, I think of the the church, I think there's fear of being too Mm open-minded and allowing things that are a little like funky into your thinking and into your ideology and, and stuff like that. But I think if I don't know. If you're a Christ follower, you know Christ, you know Jesus. I think being open minded can only lead you two opportunities to share that truth um and and to to give that truth to others mm-hmm. i don't know if any of that made sense yeah, yeah no, that's I think really it made, good it made good sense i i um i have this conversation with my sons who are about your your guys age um a lot and i will say to them your job is to question and challenge everything i've ever taught your job is mm-hmm. to absolutely, you know, take apart anything you've ever learned from me and and try to make it better. My job is to make that as hard for you as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I think to again, and I don't I don't know what this looks like, but this even this multi congregational church that I'm talking about, there there is a place, now I'm I'm trying to defend myself here, there is a place for the old stuck in the mud codger who says this is the way we've always done it and this is truth and you know if you can't you can't love Jesus and have tattoos you know that there's a place for that guy 
to to yeah. constantly be pulling us back while the while the younger person is saying no that you can't. My uh, my youngest son was for years a musician in in uh, on Lower Broad in Nashville, and and a great musician and had an incredible impact for for Jesus in that very dark world. I well, mean, for people would, that don't know Nashville, what is Broadway? Uh, Broadway is the iconic strip. The all, all the honky tonks are there. Jacob played in the house band at Tootsie's, and Tootsie's. If you've ever seen a movie that's set in Nashville, I guarantee you yeah. there was a scene in Tootsie's at some point. It's <laughs> yeah. that iconic honky-tonk. Uh, Doris and I went there the, when he had just gotten a job there. Doris, his mother, we went there, and and uh, she's heartbroken. Here's her son, grew up in the church, learned to play music, playing the praise band at church, and now he's playing this God-forsaken honky-tonk. And we sat there. And he's Where playing. did we go wrong? Yeah, right? he's playing. She she starts to settle down, and she says, oh, "You know." She looked at me. She said, "This is not bad. This is okay." And the second she said that, some guy passed out, dead drunk, right at her feet, and she just looked down and just put her hands in her face, started crying. <laughs> oh, but Jacob had a, he played there for probably eleven eleven years. Tootsie's had a tremendous impact, and. And we would go hear him, and people would come up and say, "Your son is one of the, he's one of the most godly men I've ever met. He's taught mm-hmm. me about Jesus." I know of people that came to know Christ because of, of Jacob. Mm-hmm. He got a he got a big tattoo. You know, he got his his arm uh, a base clef on his arm in the shape of a cross, and almost a sleeve, not quite a sleeve, but almost a sleeve. He got this big tattoo. My my father in law who was a godly, saintly man, saw that tattoo and just went to Peter. That ain't no good. You can't love Jesus and have a tattoo. <laughs> you know, because at that point, I was stuck in the middle of this argument. Yeah. But my, my whole point is that we need, we need the guys with the tattoos. Mm-hmm. We also need the guys to yes. say, oh, this, is, this has always been truth. And I think that's what the church has been about all along, yes. is that we're, we're supposed to make each other better. Um, as you said, Justin, I don't know if any of that made any sense, but it seems yeah. to come out of that. No, I think it's it's so important because, I mean, at the end of the day, we are here because of the generation before us. That's and, good. And, and we can talk about... Don't you ever forget it. Yeah, <laughs> right. And we're, yes, real, we're real quick to talk about everything that they got wrong. We're real, mm. twi- real quick to talk about the mess that they handed us. And that's fine. I think that's... I think that's perfectly understandable to understand where do we need to work from but we're not really as quick to talk about all the things that we've mm. been given that's been a blessing balance it with yeah. the positives yeah. yeah and so it's easy to see the father-in-law who sees a tattoo who is just hot dog mad about it and ready to just send you to hell over it, whatever the case may be um but then what it, what are the intentions behind all of that mm. you know i think once you start going back and you start looking at intentions you start looking at the person who is saying that understanding okay the way he's saying it is not okay but where is he coming from and and so i think there's just so much like you said dr part i mean like it's not one or the other man it's it's all of us together and so there's just so much to learn i think it's huge to have dialogue with people who have like differing opinions Mm -hmm. different generations or different beliefs in general like have that conversation. Don't just get upset mm-hmm. and like voice your opinion and yell it at them. Like, like you said, 
kind of have that perspective and be like, okay, where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. They were taught in church growing up that, Mm -hmm. you know, tattoos on your body were the mark of Satan, like you were defiling God's temple, Mm -hmm. you know, and have those conversations with them. I think that's a lot more beneficial than just going, okay, well, screw you. Yeah, Yeah. right. And I I think in some ways, Justin, that the pandemic makes that more possible. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we are, uh, you know, we, we reached this and, and I'm, I'm not suggesting we have solved this problem yet, but we, we reached this fever pitch on mm-hmm. Facebook and social media and yeah. TikTok and all those things where we are at each other's throats mm-hmm. and there's no listening to one another <laughs> and, and people are canceling each other. Yes. And all that. And I do think that, that, and, and I, now this is me again, being old. I think the media continues to promote that and kind of mm-hmm. glamorize that. Mm-hmm. But I, but what I have seen from the pandemic is that people are saying, you know, I want to, I want to sit down with somebody different from me and mm-hmm. talk and, and I recognize how fragile all of this is. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's not a bad thing that's come out of this. And, and again, the church, I think would do well to have that same influence yeah. to say, you know, it's not bad that we are, uh, that we kind of forced to to confront how um, limited we are in our understanding of things, and and let's let's talk more through what, what we believe, what we think. Yep. What's the answer for uh, the is de-churched the correct word? Mm-hmm. Those who were in church, those who were raised in church, maybe got burned mm-hmm. and left, like left the faith altogether because of a bad experience. Mm-hmm. What's what's our answer? As as the church, like post pandemic, how can we reach those people? Yeah, I, you know, if we could figure it out, we'd write a book and <laughs> follow Pastor Eddie on the, so on, the television, on the television circuit. I I think, you know, I think we can learn something from our culture in general, and I. I mm-hmm. I'm going to open up a can of worms that we that we probably will edit out, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> but we're trying to understand in our culture and in our society. Uh, Pastor Bryce mentioned the you know the the mess we were handed by the generation before us. We're trying to understand <clears throat> what we owe because of the mistakes of our fathers and our forefathers. Uh, you know, and, and so one example is that reparation. Do we do we make reparation to races that we have historically mm-hmm. abused and put down? And yet something is necessary. Something has to happen. There has mm-hmm. to be some kind of apology and mm-hmm. some kind of overture. Well, in the same way, we're talking about these sissy church members that got their you know panties in a wad and they went running off, and I had nothing to do with that. So. Who cares? And so that's the that's the perspective. Yeah, right? yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Some so I think one of the first steps is as a church, we need to find a way to apologize and yeah. say, you know what, we really did. Yeah. We were abusive in some cases, and we really did uh, mm-hmm. mess people up in their thinking and make them feel less than. And and so we apologize for that. Again, doing it without watering down the gospel is the gospel and and, mm-hmm. and the bible is true and what it says you know the ten commandments are the ten commandments yep. they're not the ten suggestions they're the ten commandments mm-hmm. 
But still, the first step in reaching the de-churched, as you say, Justin, is to just apologize. Man, yep. we, we were wrong. We, yep. we did it wrong. And, uh, and we'd like to have another shot at this. We'd, we'd like to, to do this in a different way. Yep. I heard a story. Um, there, was a, there was a, I don't know, he's a writer and a pastor talking about a friend of his who grew up in his church and they had a guest speaker come in. Um, and I mean, hellfire brimstone uh, go at the homosexuality topic. Mm-hmm. And um, in a very brute, very, um, I don't know, not not in love. Yeah. Uh, and so the whole time he said she and she had been feeling um, same sex attraction for a while, had never like voiced it. And so she's just sitting there feeling like she's, I don't know, basically in hell already because that's what the pastor was saying. Right. Um, this guest speaker. And so she went to her pastor after church. I mean, just in tears. Hey, like I've been. I've been dealing with same-sex attraction. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, and I, I really need help, like, navigating these feelings um, because the sermon today, I mean, just told me that I'm going to hell because right. I feel these things. Pastor basically said, there's the door. Get out. Don't ever come back. Yeah. Um, and so stories like that, right, mm-hmm. where somebody had an experience like that, but then years later, right, she's— She's married to a woman, and um, her wife ends up dying tragically mm. one night. So she calls her local church, like, hey, I know you probably won't do it, but um, my wife passed away. Would you do the ceremony? And the pastor there was like, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. Like, yeah, we would love to, and if there's anything you need, like, we yeah. got you. And so approaching that situation in love, and I know— um, for, for that topic specifically, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of animosity and a lot of angst around it, mm-hmm. but I think the answer to that and to the de-churched into situations like that is love, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you've been burned, you've been hurt and in some ways not even treated like an actual human being. Um, but that's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus right. didn't do that. That was a person, um, mm-hmm. or a group of people and who who twisted the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's good. Yeah, I think, you know, we don't get people to sign up for this because we show them how hot hell is. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not why I signed up for it. That's not why I signed up for I, it. I enlisted, I gave my heart to Jesus because of how amazing what was possible to be in relationship with Jesus all all of the many things that we see in scripture in relationship to God, the peace, the joy, the fruit of the spirit, this example you see in the life of Jesus, his interactions, the way he handles situations, um, so contrary to everything that we see in culture. And so um, there's just an opportunity for the church, for the D church, like you said, Dr. Courtney. I mean, every generation is going to get something wrong. They're going to do something wrong. And if they want what's best for the next generation, they have no problem of apologizing and saying, this is where we got it wrong. And this is probably the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, We missed it here. We were blind. We had these blind spots Um, and you're going to have your blind spots as well. So every generation has opportunity to just escalate and move forward and, and to progress in the faith. Um, And so there is this, this great, 
just advantage from every generation to just get that much better, to be the antidote, to be an answer. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, was thinking about this, uh, on the way driving over here, <laughs> Justin, uh, he asked me to do this about a month ago. So on the way driving over here, I was thinking about that. <laughs> uh, That's how it works for me too. But right. I, you know, I was thinking historically and biblically, there have been these, these great moments of change of kind of cataclysmic change. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, all of worship changed. Remember, I mean, the church, all of the way we we do God stuff changed. Uh, after after the garden, you know, in the garden you you walk with God and talk with God, and you mm-hmm. walk. To, and then after the garden, it's different. You know, God just seems to talk to a few people, to Abraham and to Enoch, and to 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 a, to a few people, and then and that kind of goes until kind of after the exodus you know and after egypt then god begins to give shape to this nation and and the worship of god kind of tends to be around Mm -hmm. the nation and there are prophets and priests and 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 so the exodus is this cataclysmic moment when everything is going to be different after that and I, i think you know probably after both after the cross and after Pentecost, those two two things, the the worship had kind of evolved to the temple, and then after the after Pentecost is it's the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and all of that has and so so you see biblically these major shifts mm-hmm. in the way we dealt with God and then mm-hmm. it changed, and then that continues a, a couple of times in history after Constantine when Constantine blesses the Christianity. And so the, the Catholic Church is really born and and the church. So that's where we started to be the church and really started to have have a, a we were the, I, I think God kind of got off of the throne and the church got on the throne. Luther comes along and after the Reformation, now instead of going through the church, it's the priesthood of believers, we can, we can go back again. Mm-hmm. And I would say because of my newly found Pentecostal uh, community, the great Pentecostal revivals, Azusa Street Mission, mm-hmm. those kinds. After that, church started to look completely different. So, it's not without precedent, right? That every few hundred years, God says, "Hey, let's just do this thing completely different. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna completely mm-hmm. upturn the apple cart and do it completely different." I think it's very very possible that that's what this is. That mm-hmm. this whole pandemic. Yep. Has been God's way of saying, you know what? Let's just let's just do it completely different, and and the church will take on a whole new face and look completely different and mm-hmm. find better ways of expressing mm-hmm. that amazing love, as you say, Pastor Bryce, than we ever would have found had we not gone through this time. I, I I'm not alarmed by by what has happened. I feel I feel optimistic about where God's taking us as a body of believers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you talk about it anytime you speak, I feel the same way anytime I open my Bible and I read and I go, man, this was written for right now. Yeah. You know, this was written so long ago, but it speaks so specifically to the times that we're living in right now. And 
that is again an opportunity for the church to show the D church or like, man, just look at this, check this out. Like read it in the context of our life right now. Not you can read it in the context of the day and time there and look at culturally how things are going on. And then you start kind of looking in history, the historical context and our present context. And you go, not a whole lot. <laughs> there's still a lot of confrontation. There's still a lot of struggle. There's things going on politically and racially. And, and you go, but, but this is the way, like, this is how Mandalorian kind of quote there, you know, like this is the way like this is. And so again, just such an opportunity for the church to just show like, this is what we've been reading. Yeah. These have been our precepts. Have we been showing all those things? No, mm. but like this has been our ideal. This is what we're striving for. And man, we've missed it here and there, but this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking to. This is our, you know, hope to become, um, and just kind of talking about that issue, like you were talking about pastor Kevin Wallace, uh, redemption to the nation's, uh, pastor in Chattanooga. He said something very powerful. He said, you know, um, you can belong to community of believers and become who God's called you to be at the same time. I mean, like that's, that's how this works. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. and so just, and that's it's not one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, here's a list of things. Once you get all these things right, then you're granted access right. in. Um, but you're granted access in and in, in just entering God's and becoming good. a part, you can begin to become who God's called you to be. And, and that's just kind of one of our slogans here is believe, belong, serve. Um, we're continuing to believe in the word of God. We're becoming who he's called us to be and, and belonging to a community is allowing us the opportunity to become. And then next thing you know, we're serving, we're making an impact, we're making a difference through our story, through our testimony, through outreach and things like that. So, yeah. uh, And you're right. Um, I almost said Dr. Courtney. You're right, Mike. Uh, wow. The church <laughs> now we're getting it. <laughs> the church has had huge moments of change, and um, the pandemic, the pandemic definitely seems to be one of those. And if if we can move forward, I think the job of the church seems to me to be the answer for that given time. Right? Yeah. Like Jesus is using the church as an avenue to be the answer for the world in that climate and that in, and the world changes, like the world evolves, mm-hmm. problems arise and we have to adapt and we have to change to be that answer. Mm-hmm. And so for our generation, not to, you're good <laughs> <laughs> for our, for our generation, not to demonize the generations before, mm-hmm. um, like you were saying, like, yeah, they did all this wrong, have respect, understand what they did wrong, move forward and be the right answer for this time. Because, a hundred years down the road, there's going to be something that you did that is wrong for that climate because it's changed. The mm-hmm. world has changed since then. Good, good. I uh, years and years ago, I read Francis Schaeffer, and this is this is stuck with me. He said, he said our culture changes in this way. Um, a change is introduced by philosophy. He he was a philosopher, so he would think that. But, but our philosophy about the world changes. That begins to be reflected in our art. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we again, to take a, to take a uh, thing that you talked about a little while ago, Justin, we, philosophy began to say that the way we look at sexuality is perhaps not right. And, we need, and so art began to reflect that. You know, television, Hollywood, mm-hmm. movie, art began to reflect that. That begins to be reflected in our educational system. Mm-hmm. We start teaching those values, 
then the government finally steps in and begins to pass laws about this is the way you handle this, this is not the way. And finally, yeah. the church comes along and fights against it. <laughs> By the time we get there, that battle was lost a long time mm-hmm. ago. It changed way back there. Mm-hmm. And again, I think one of the cool things that has happened in the pandemic that I see is there are at least some instances where the church has gotten out in front of mm-hmm. things. They've opened their eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and long before philosophers tell us we need to address things this way, the church has said, hey, we need to provide an answer. We need, yeah. we need to do this. Because yeah. yeah, they're listening. They're not, they're not waiting for the world to, I don't know, convert and adapt to the yeah. way they're doing things. They're, they're listening to what humans are saying and then being able to move forward with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. That's good. It's great. This is a great talk.